thank you for having me back among you in this wonderful pulpit. And as I intimated earlier, we're talking about feet. I know you're excited by that. So what do you think about when you hear the word feet? I got a lot more response from the first service. I'm putting you on notice right now. What do you think of when you hear the word feet? Some of us, I'm sorry, go. Yes, broken, Larry, yes. We're glad you're healing, right? What else do you think of when you hear the word feet? Toes, okay, what else we got? Dancing, okay, anybody else? Swimming. Swimming. Running. Running. Distance. And Blue is very uncomfortable right now because when I mentioned last night at his house that I was going to be talking about feet, I think he left the room, right? Yeah, yeah. Some of us might jump to the thought of having our feet massaged, right? Oh, yeah, that relaxing feeling that comes with that, that sense of peace, a little indulgence, feeling better. Some of us might immediately go to, ooh, ugliness. People get weird about feet, right? Something of disfigurement or awkwardness. Maybe you're thinking about pain in your feet. In reference to my own feet, I I guess I would have to think about my scarred toes. I was actually surprised that um, our children who joined me weren't, weren't like, ew, you've got that on your foot and that on that toe and that's not so pretty. I have lots of scars, on my feet from my years as a professional ballerina. And, and when I think about that, I, I, I also think immediately when I think about feet for all those loved ones who were ready for me with buckets of ice water after a particularly hard day at the bar or heat and massage after maybe a grueling rehearsal on the stage where sometimes I would come home with very, very bloody and very sore feet. But the other idea that I consider when I think of the word feet are all of the hobbits from the Lord of the Rings series and the Hobbit, right? I'm getting some head nods. Yes, Annie's like, yes. Besides their short stature and their love of creature comforts, hobbits are perhaps best known for their bare feet, right? They're leathery, they're hairy. The rendering for the, sh- for the shoes moot. They don't need them. In fact, the author, J.R.R. Tolkien's initial description in literature, he points out that they wear no shoes because their feet grow natural leathery soles and thick, warm brown hair like the stuff on their heads. It's become a signature part of their species, hasn't it? Immediately we know, so much so that when Peter Jackson began filming the Lord of the Rings trilogy, He used prosthetic feet for the actors. And and watching the trilogies over the last several years again has made me very aware of their hugely bulky and hairy feet. Hope you're not uncomfortable yet. You doing okay? For some reason, whenever I hear the word feet, the, the image of hobbit feet is the first thing that pops in my mind. Did you know that the hobbit feet could only be used one time in filming? They they took hours to apply to the Hobbit cast, these ordinary, hairy, fake feet. And and creating the feet was a feat in itself. In fact, Richard Taylor of the film effects crew, Weta, said, we made 1,800 pairs of feet for the lead Hobbits alone. That's not the extra Hobbits at the party, just the main Hobbits. And then he said, we had feet coming out of our ears. <laughs> Love that. So each foot 
was used only once. And since it had to be glued on to the bottom of actual human feet and then ripped off at the end of the filming day. So I dug a little bit this week and I was curious, what are these feet made of? They had to be able to traverse on the movie set. They had to be worn for hours on end. What happens if the feet get sweaty, right? What were they made of? Well, they're actually made using foam latex and yak hair. So take that to your next party, right? Later on today, in between naps, if you, if you Google, you'll see some really interesting YouTube videos about how they were actually created and put on. So if you're curious to that, I encourage you to do that. It's quite fascinating. It's extraordinary, really, watching all of those small hobbits take on the world for good. When they were unsure of where it would lead them, how difficult their journey would be. They were shoeless. Did you realize that? They were shoeless throughout their entire journey. Unprotected feet carrying the message of good into the darkness. These ordinary hobbits transformed the world by walking on a journey unlike any other. So today, I, I beg your indulgence, Blue, and others that are a little uncomfortable, for I'm going to talk about the ordinary, but not necessarily the perfect, imperfect, and not so much transcendent, but the down-to-earth, the concrete, the messy, sometimes the smelly, and sometimes, yes, awkward, feet. Your feet, and my feet, our feet. We had this beautiful reading from the prophet Isaiah. And, and we know that this metaphor is used for feet to represent a messenger, right? The, one of the most well-known passages in all of Hebrew scriptures. And yet, often, I find when this passage gets interpreted, we're so comfortable that, that, that we tend to forget the circumstances, around this passage. It came from a prophet, but yet it's not just a prophetic message, right? It's not just about predicting the future. Sometimes we relegate the prophets to that space, and that's not what's happening here. See, sometimes the prophet were there to proclaim God's will to the people and interpret events in light of God's will. So with that, the text sets up this classic scenario behind us. It comes from a battlefield. And there's a messenger, and a messenger is sent to announce the victory, this victory that has been hard fought, this victory that's been won. There's been a lot of losses. There is a lot of pain, but a victory is there. And the watchmen, the watchmen are straining to see. They're looking for the messenger. When will the messenger come? They're straining. We need the news. We need the news. And, and in this case... They see this barefooted messenger across the mountains coming to them, and they know already by the speed of the messenger and the countenance of the messenger and the body language of the messenger that it is indeed good news. And what do they do in that moment? They begin to sing of the good news of God. Now, despite this seemingly straightforward progression of events, Upon closer look, we discover several surprises in this story. For not only is the messenger coming to announce a victory from the battlefield, but it is God's self coming in triumph. Imagine that. The Lord returns. This battlefield, it's, it's not just any confrontation between two armies, but it's the field of history itself in which God is triumphant, for not only is Jerusalem redeemed, but also all of the nations. You heard that in the scripture, didn't you? 
all of the nations. Finally, the watchmen watching for the messenger, they too cannot contain themselves with this good news. And even before the messenger arrives, they too start the singing. And I bet the dancing, whoever said that earlier about feet, way to go. Dancing. They have to move with this amazing good news. So here we are this morning, church. In effect, listening in as this prophet speaks to some despairing exiles when things haven't gone as they thought they should. They're disappointed. They've been let down. They're waiting to hear a good word from God. Surely those of us gathered here today know a little bit about that. Walter Brueggemann is a very well-respected biblical scholar, and he states that when the words are specifically chosen in this passage. It is to create this vision of Yahweh's mercy and love. So that those that hear them in effect bear witness to a God who is capable of kind, gracious, restorative, rehabilitative, sustaining, liberating actions. So I have to believe if that's true, and I think it is then the message would be important for the Israelites to hear. Because as you know, they'd been enslaved. They'd been oppressed in Babylon for years. In effect, they weren't just relegated from the first class to the second class citizen. They were all the way down to the fourth class. They had literally been relegated to the ghettos of the day. There was very great and real fear that God had abandoned them. And then Isaiah gives us this tangible, understandable image to convey the bringer of the good news, the messenger that travels by foot over the mountainside, over the hard traverse, yucky weather. And remember, these feet weren't probably well taken care of, pedicured feet. Good news to a beleaguered people regarding a victory over the enemy. You know, the fastest means to spread news in that world was not by ship. It wasn't even by horse. If you could find one, it was actually by feet. There weren't really good roads all of the time. So you could get among the brush and the bramble. You could go here and there. So when it was really important, the messenger would go. How beautiful are those feet? How good is the news? You can tell by the way the feet move with urgency and excitement. So I don't know about you right now, church, but it, but it seems to me from my vantage point that we're so close to these people in this scripture. It doesn't matter if, if we're Republicans or Democrats or something else. It doesn't matter if, if today you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, if you're, if you're military or Peace Corps, if, if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're all about traditional church with a fabulous orchestra and choir, or if sometimes you wish there was a band and a little contemporary music, it doesn't matter. Because God said in all of that, there is good news. But I think each of us, the reason I think we're so close to the scripture is each of us can understand that sin of exclusion, that, that sin of oppression. We've all been on the other side. We've all been the other. 
And when we feel this, when we're in that moment, we don't always see ourselves as a valued citizen. And if we're honest, and I encourage you to be honest, is sometimes questions emerge about where God is actually at work, much less if there is a God that has a message of hope and love for us right now in our postmodern messed up world. So when you're feeling in exile, when you are feeling disunited, hope seems awfully elusive. So you understand that other, right? You understand being that fourth class citizen, right? You understand that your feet are tired and your feet are weary and maybe you feel like things are a little bit smelly right now. You get that, right, church? This is where you tell me yes. But then lo and behold, two of my favorite connected words in scripture, because it means good news is coming. Lo and behold, God has not abandoned us. We have this prophet Isaiah who reminds us that God has heard our pleas. God has heard our cries. God has responded. God will respond. And there is good news. You see, upon that mountaintop, there appeared these beautiful feet of the bearer of a new message, proclaiming a new hope, calling forth a new vision, a new song, announcing a new story. And this story, this story is unlike any before. Because the introduction and the climax and the ending, they're supported and they're moved on by our knowledge and our assurance that our God reigns. Where we are, where we've been, it's made us ready for this moment. It's all about feet. Those wonderful, holy, beautiful feet. We hear only of the feet which will bring the good news of peace and salvation for a despondent people. The feet are beautiful because they bring that liberating news, that needed news, that lifting up news of God's reign. So those smelly, awkward, uncomfortable, maybe imperfect feet are exactly beautiful because they do that. How you doing about your feet, church? Your feet are beautiful because they can bring good news to a wasted land and a tired people. You know, 60 years ago, two members of Second Baptist, who happened to be doctors, learned that Lubbock had one of the highest infant mortality rates in the United States. Their feet got to work. Their feet started pounding the pavement during lunch. Their feet led them to a mission church sponsored by Second Baptist in Lubbock. And it didn't take long for them to invite other doctors to be a part of this good news story, too. And so for many years, each of the doctors would come once a week But in the years since, no one except cleaning and other random services had been paid a penny as a volunteer worker or doctor. Because you see, at the Sick Children's Clinic, from the beginning to the present, almost 300,000 children have received the very best care. Now that should make you say amen. So let me say that again and we'll try that again. From the beginning to the present, almost 300,000 children have received the very best care. We are now treating, with the Sick Children's Clinic, fourth-generation children. This clinic continues to treat children as many days as the doctors can come. There has never been a fee, a charge associated for services at the Sick Children's Clinic, 
And that clinic is sponsored monetarily by this church as well as many other organizations and individuals. And it's also sponsored by your time and your energy and your feet pounding the pavement, telling people the good news of what Second Baptist is up to. In fact, this church owns that building at 10th and Avenue A and leases it for a dollar. That is the bearers of good news, the very feet of God. Your very presence in this city says you value the diversity of God. Love all now. You live out your mission with your feet day in and day out. You might be tired. I know you're weary. Many of you are also feeling better. But guess what? You still get to live out the message that God reigns. Are you doing that? How amazing is it that Isaiah gives to us this reversal of sorts instead of a description of, oh, these beautiful, lovely hands doing the work of God or this shining light on this beautiful face shouting the news. We get feet, beautiful, broken, sad, tired, ugly, smelly, dirty feet. And Isaiah says, and oh, they're beautiful. The unnoticed feet. Those appendages, as the kids noted earlier, that get us from one place to the next. Those same feet that free us to follow Christ's footsteps, that carry us from hate to love. You know, in the Gospel of John, we're reminded that the feet of Jesus, they were anointed in that very beautiful moment, right, with oil and hair. But those same feet were then spit upon. Those same feet were stepped on, those same feet were crushed before finally being nailed to a tree by the very ones that Jesus came to show a different way. It's a violent reading in the Gospel of John. And yet those are the very same feet that we have chosen to follow when we say, Jesus, you are my way, my truth, and my life. Guess what, church? That means that your feet are going to get dirty and your feet are going to get tired. Jesus reminds us the servant is not greater than the master. So if you thought that your feet were going to get constantly bathed and anointed when you said yes to Jesus, well, mm, I'm sorry. I'm not sure how you got there knowing the story of God with us. Proclaiming Jesus as Lord means that our feet too might get stepped on from time to time. They might get spat upon. They might even get crushed by those who reject God's gift of love. Pierced possibly by indifference or rejection, by hostility and unawareness, by assumptions and misplaced loyalties. But then, church, then we get to celebrate the feet of Jesus that led us continually to tables, the tables that were the symbols of love and life and harmony, where all came and feasted at the invitation of him, feet side by side with those who aren't like us, who don't have the same job as us, that don't always see things in the same way like us, that don't necessarily agree with us and today we're called to once again have our steps lead us to proclaim our feet and our steps as Christ led and say y'all come we might have missed it before but no longer church I'm not gonna let you off the hook God has heard your cries and God says okay get up and dance Dance with one another. I'm still here. Our feet need to become the prophetic messengers of justice and hope 
and love, feet. They're the feet of my daddy, defying the history of alcoholism and abuse, leading many to a better way of life and community in his work. They're the feet of my mother, always ready to embrace any child in need and taking time to show us the glimpses of God's special care amidst the hustle and the bustle. They're the feet of my brother, who inspires all with his wit. He has a huge lack of understanding where it comes to people not giving over. He loves to do service-based things. He has this unquenchable desire for harmony. They're the feet of my daughter, whose humor disarms all and whose mercy has no bounds. They're the feet of teenagers among you right now who are ready and willing to stand up for rights for those who feel they have none. They're the feet of children reminding us to be colorblind as they gleefully skip a way to play with whosoever will give them space. And they are the feet that dance with the lonely and lead the wavering and dare to stand firm against justice. They're not just feet, they're beautiful feet. And guess what, church? They're your feet.